Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. So we just came out of a series called Let Us Give, and now we're going to go Let Us Love, and today uh, is, we're going to start that, and then next week we're flipping teachers. I'm going to be going to Sunrise Community Church, and Pastor Russ is going to come here to TCC, and you're going to hear uh, the, the final uh, um, sermon in that series, Let Us Love. And you see these nice little balloons right here, and so ladies, uh, in a couple of weeks, it's Valentine's Day. If you see this come home like as a gift, be suspicious. I don't think he put much work into it. I think he stole it from the church. So, so just be mindful of that. And guys, if you're going to take them, wait till after next week, okay? And then, yeah. So we're going to get into 1 John chapter 2. And so we're going to have it on the screens. We're also going to um, ask you to turn in your Bibles to that. We're going to go verse by verse in a couple of things. But here's the teaching summary here. Acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Okay, so this is kind of from 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, kind of all mashed together. Acknowledge Jesus as Lord, follow his teachings, and then we can truly love each other. But you have to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. You, you have to follow his ways. You have to receive his spirit before you can love each other. Now, we can be nice to each other, and our culture is all about being nice. But that's not what we're talking about here. The Bible never says you have to be nice. Now, kids, don't go home and sash your parents and say, I don't have to be nice. Love is not rude. You know, love is kind, all those things. But, but to try to put on this front to be nice, that's not what we're doing here. That's not what God's love is talking about. It's talking about this deep love that we receive to follow Jesus' teachings, to do this in his power and his strength so that we can love each other. Now, if we don't love each other, now how do we, how do we measure that? Like, who is the other? Somebody different from us really is the true measure. It's easy to love somebody that's like you, like we, like we mentioned. It's, it's easy to love somebody who looks like you, who, who goes to the, likes the same things as you do, or, or goes to the, to the same activities you go to. But to love somebody that's different than you is really the measurement. And if we don't do that, if we don't love each other, we need to ask these really hard questions. And they're in your notes I'm just going to read them. But they're, they're tough. And again, this is, comes from 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. This is kind of taking it out of there and saying, this is what Jesus is really saying here through John. If we don't love each other, do we acknowledge then that Jesus is Lord and Savior? Do we belong to him or do we still stand condemned? Do we follow his teachings, his principles, and take them seriously? beyond our personal preferences and practices? And do our actions or our fruit demonstrate that? And then, if we don't love each other, what is our witness to the world? These are serious questions that we need to ask, and the, the measurement that John gives us is how we love each other. And that would answer those questions. By how we love each other. Do we really have the love of God in us? Do we really have his forgiveness? Or are we trying just to be nice? Well, let's look at 1 John chapter 2. We're going to just read verses 9 through 11. It says here, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness 
He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. Now, we may claim to be in the light because we're nice and because that person is a good person or, or we're, I'm a good person, so I'm in the light. But morality is not necessarily being in the light. Amen? Amen. Morality is but merely a step to our result of being near the light. Being in the light demands the evidence beyond our morality or our feelings or our preferences. Loving our brother and sister like Jesus loves is that evidence. That's how we know. That's how we know we're in the light. It's not just that we're good people or we think that we're good people or that we're moral people. It's how we love our brother and sister. If you hate someone, then you don't walk in the light. And if, if you're a habitual hater, then you probably don't know the light. If you hate someone, maybe it's a seasonal thing that you need to get right. Because you have known the light, but now you're allowing this hatred and this relationship that has gone south and has been severed or whatever it is to keep you from the light. And you don't know where you're going. You may think you do. You can rationalize and say, yeah, I I know where I'm going. I'm in the light. I know who Jesus is. You keep telling yourself that. But with the Spirit of God, we cannot see in the dark because we don't have the light. And again, that could be something that is, is habitual. Or it could be something that is seasonal. That you're just in this spot with somebody. And you're, you're being blinded. And you don't realize it. Alright, turn over with me to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to read 7 through 21. We're going to stop along the way here. Starting at verse 7, it says, Dear friends, let's love one another. For love comes from God. And everyone who loves his has been born of God and knows God. Now this passage here is explaining how it is that we can love each other. We're to love one another from a love from God. We're not to to manufacture this. This isn't about the Hallmark Valentine's type of love. This is a love that is received from God. That's the only love that can transform. That's the only love that can heal. That's the only love that can forgive. It's a love from God. We can only love God unselfishly, if we're born of God and know God, the source of love. All right, let's keep reading here. It says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. He is the definition of love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So love, what is this love? It involves sacrifice. And and God went first. He went first. How do we first love others and not wait for them to love us first? Because that's what Jesus did. That's what God did through his son, Jesus. And when we love sacrificially, we can know that we have that love from God. And can truly love others. But we have to initiate. We can't wait and say, well, I'm just going to wait and see if, you know, if they're nice and if they're approachable or whatever. For loving with God's love, we initiate it because he initiated it with us through Jesus. He started it. And that kind of love that you start, that you initiate, that's the love from God. 
God is spirit. God is love. And God's love is manifest in our actions with one another by his spirit living through us. And that's what we hear in verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So he's spirit. And so guess what? That love of God manifests itself through us, through our flesh, through our relationships, through our conversations. This is how the world can know that God is loved by the way we love each other. It's not something we manufacture. Nicodemus came to Jesus, and he's this great teacher in Israel. And Jesus says, unless you are born of the Spirit, you cannot see God. You can't be of God. And Nicodemus would have been saying, well, wait a minute. I've got this positional authority. I'm a great teacher. I know the law backwards and forwards. I'm a good guy. And he probably was all those things. But Jesus is saying, mm-mm, there's no eternal lasting thing there. That's not what it's about, Nicodemus. You have to be born of the Spirit, meaning you have to receive from God what he wants to give. And then you can give and love and forgive and all those things that will have eternal transformative impact. But on your own, no matter how good you are, no matter how smart you are, no matter what you're upbringing, it's not enough. Nicodemus, you need to be born of the Spirit. What you can't see, what you can't grab onto, and you need to surrender to Him that way. And then you have confidence in your salvation because it's not built on what you can see and what you're doing and all that. You can have confidence because you have received from God what you can't see, and you've done that in faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. But in faith, in believing what you can't see in this God that you can't even see, to receive that love and then to share it so that people can see it is confidence that we can have in our salvation through Christ. And then it goes on. It says, we know that we live in him and he is in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God, that the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence. We need confidence in the day of judgment because in this world, we are like him. That's where your confidence comes from, is that you're living this love that you've received from God. And your identity is shaped in the character and way of Jesus, and that you can have confidence. And when you have that, you're around people like that, and you know that they love Jesus. You, you've known people like this, yes? It just radiates out of them. You're like, whoa, where does that come from? Do they like, do like all kinds of you know, self-help classes and positive thinking classes? Or, or do they listen to all kinds of podcasts? Why is it that this just radiates out of them? It's because they have surrendered and have received the love of God and set aside their own ways of doing those things. And their confidence comes from knowing that God is love because they've experienced Him. Now 18 says, there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Why? Because its origin is not about what we can see or control, but is 
born out of what we cannot see and need to trust. Who is God? Who is spirit? And when we trust God more than the unknown, that is a place where love can grow. Let me say that one more time. When we trust God more than the unknown, I don't know what's going to happen next week. I don't know how my finances are going to be. I don't know how that relationship is going to go. When you trust God more than those unknowns, then love can actually have a place to grow. But that is a difficult thing to do. Because fear will try to pull us into its grip. Now, if perfect love drives out fear, then the opposite is true too. Fear will drive away perfect, imperfect love. Fear will drive away imperfect love. And will cause us to control and manipulate people towards our own selfish outcomes. And that brings pain and punishment because it's born out of us. The very thing that's opposite of our surrender to Jesus, it's born out of us. Our control and say, no, I'm going to try to work, you know, manage this myself and manipulate this. It's born out of our sinful nature and it's imperfect. And that's where fear can drive away any glimmer of love. If it's done in a selfish way. In contrast, the love born of God and his perfect love satisfies completely. It's full and it's complete. And your decisions that you make, I, I often encounter people and they're like, you know, I just don't know how to make that decision. And I have no peace about that decision. And I say, well, is there something that you're afraid of in that decision? Because even if you can go through all the steps of making that decision and gathering all the information, if you have fear that this is going to be this outcome or that outcome or that outcome, if it could be that fear is keeping you from having that peace. And so first of all, you've got to clear out the fear. And you've got to surrender to the Lord and say, I've got to clear this out. Because you will not make good decisions if you make them out of fear. Because it's not made in perfect love. So take care of that fear first. Sometimes people just get, I just don't have any peace about that. Well, is that the Holy Spirit actually telling you, you know, that doesn't align with the Word or it doesn't align with this or, or there's some other thing? Is that the Holy Spirit talking to you or is it your fear talking to you? And you need to know. Because if you don't know that, then you're going to make a decision out of fear and those are always bad decisions. So you cannot love what you cannot see if you cannot love what you can see. Let me say that again. That's not meant to be a tongue twister, but... You cannot love what you cannot see if you cannot love what you can see. Now, if, if I can't love my wife or if I can't love you as, as, as this congregation entrusted to me, then how is it that I'm supposed to be able to love God who I can't see? You know? And that's what John is saying here. John's saying, you know, we first love Uh, uh, because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother and his sister. It's how God set it up in our marriages, in our relationships, These are all real-time practices of how to love God. Now, when I say practice, it doesn't mean that's not real. Kind of like a person that practices medicine. 
doesn't mean that it's not real. They're practicing. They're going to do it, you know, for real sometime. I always kind of wondered about that. Now, don't practice medicine on me. Do it for real, you know. If I'm hurting or whatever, don't practice it. I want the real thing. I want game time, right? Same thing with lawyers. But same thing with our love in our marriages, in our relationships. When we get those things right and we receive the love of God and it, and it manifests itself in our relationships, in our marriages, then we start to have evidence that God's love has been received in our hearts and is being enacted into our relationships. So, just real briefly, what is this love? And the difference then between the world's definition of love and, and how we're called to love. Well, love that is received from God is the love that we want. Not something we can manufacture. It's God's love. When we receive Him, we become love as we live in Him. Secondly, love that is based on commitment and promise, not in feelings and in the way we want things. This phrase, if you love me, you would. That's not a good phrase. In fact, ladies, young ladies, if a guy ever says that to you, I want you to run. I want you to run to your, to your dad or run to me. I'm going to be at Johnny Ruloff's house with guns, and we're going to make sure that we make sure they keep that boy away. You run. If you love me, you would. That whole manipulative type thing. Because God's love is not about fear. It's not about control. It's not about manipulation. See, God's love sees people beyond their sin and mistakes, sees people as valuable for who they are as his image bearers. The world's definition of love demands results. It sees people only as valuable as as what or how much they do. How much do you contribute? Okay, then then you're okay. Or how do you look? Do you look a certain way? Okay, then then you're worth something. That's the world that God's love, you love people just because they're made in God's image. We don't see people as objects or a means to an end. That's not a love from God. And finally, God's love involves sacrifice and it's passed on. It's not for something that you keep for yourself. It's about sacrifice. What are we willing to give? Only a cup that is empty can be filled. And God wants to continue to fill your cup of love to be a cup that gives away what is in it in faith. Not sure that you're going to be getting more, but trusting you will because God is love. And if you're in God and he is in you, your cup is going to continue to be filled. But giving it away demonstrates that you do trust that. That you believe in faith that I'm going to, I got this cup full of love and I'm going to pour it out because I know that God's going to fill it back up again. And that's the way that we have to live in love Not hanging on to it, but giving it away so that God can fill it up with even more. God's love cannot become complete in us without us loving others. And the true test of that is loving others different than ourselves. And this witness that we're talking about, we saw this in the video a little bit. But this witness of love, because of how we live and how we love each other, the the world will see evidence of God's love. And the world needs more than ever to see the love of God through a group of people who proclaim his love. They need to see it manifest in how we love each other, how we get along. How sad it is and how it breaks God's heart when the world looks at the church and says, I 
If, if loving Jesus and being Jesus is how these people are acting towards each other, I want nothing to do with him. How much does that break God's heart? How much does that break our heart? And we need to love each other so that the witness of our love, the witness of God working through us is in the world. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, and we're gonna, I'm not sure if we have that up there, but it's this attitude of receiving love and forgiveness. He's basically saying, if you cannot forgive your brother or your sister, guess what? God will not forgive you. And when the first time I read that, I was like, whoa, that's scary. And what is that talking about? I don't want to water that down in any way. But what that's talking about, this attitude of the heart. It don't, some of you are slipping into this mode of, oh, I forgot to forgive that person. Now I'm condemned. Don't let the evil one condemn you. Don't let them slip in there. All right? But here's what it's talking about. is having that attitude and that posture of saying, no, I'm not going to forgive them. It's beginning to point out to you that you're not receiving this love from God that is superseding your ability to forgive and love other people. And all it's pointing out is this, is this snapshot of saying, this is what your heart looks like. If you're not willing to forgive somebody else, well, God, in, rich, in his rich mercy, he forgave you when you didn't do anything to deserve it. And so have that posture, that attitude to receive just as you would give in that forgiveness. And that's what that passage is talking about so strongly. That we got to check ourselves there and make sure that we're forgiving our brother and sister. Now, forgiving each other is scary. Because it involves vulnerability. Because we're, we're not quite sure if that person that hurt us is going to be held accountable. Because they need to be held accountable for what they did to me because they caused me pain. And by forgiving, you're saying, you know what, I give that right up. That I, I'm going to let God handle that. You know, justice and revenge or whatever belongs to God. And I'm going to trust him that he's going to handle it because he's good. He's not unloving, but he's good. And he's just. And so, not wishing that upon somebody or trying to take that into our own hands is part of that posture. And it's, it's scary because it's vulnerable. It's like, oh, I feel like they're going to do it to me again. If I, if I let them off, they're going to do it to me again and again and again. And Peter goes to Jesus and says, how many times should I forgive my brother who sinned against me? How, how about seven? Because seven's a nice round number. Uh, it's a very, you know, biblical number. Uh, it's number of perfection. I mean, I, to put that number up more than two, I'm going to go seven. That's really something, isn't it, Jesus? And Jesus is like, ah, oh, no. Seventy times seven. Like, what? How can I do that? And, and God, Jesus is like, you can't do that. That is the point. Is that you need to receive from the Spirit what you can't see. You need to receive the love of God. It's not something you can manufacture. You can't do it on your own. But you're going to be amazed when you surrender your rights and you surrender that you are owed this. And you surrender to God and say, fill me with your love. Thank you for forgiving me. I want that forgiveness to that person. He will fill your cup. And amazing things will happen and transformation will occur. So who do you need to forgive? I want you to do something right now. I want you to take your pen and I want you to write the initials of somebody that you need to forgive. Somebody that hurt you. Write their initials right on your hand or someplace where you're going to see it this week. 
just write their initials down. Maybe just one initial, if it's your husband or wife. Their nickname initial, you know, do that. Just write it down. Who do you need to forgive? And I'm going to challenge you, do you dare to forgive them? Do you dare to forgive them and let them off because God let you off? Do you dare to love that courageously? And let me ask you this. If you don't dare, would you rather, would you rather deal with Jesus when he's the one that's saying, if you don't forgive your brother and sister, I'm not going to forgive you. Would you rather deal with him in this life or the next? And he's saying, uh, what's going on with that? You're going to have an answer for him? Would you rather deal with Jesus or would you rather deal with that person that you've got something going on and against? You decide. I, I, I think you have to have the courage. And again, that comes from God as well, to forgive. Secondly, who do you need to love in order to become more complete in God's love? A friend? Maybe someone different than you? Jesus says in Luke 6, 32-36, I'm just going to summarize that. If you love people who love you, what credit is that to you? But he says, love your enemies. Because that, again, is the barometer. That's the measurement if you have this supernatural love that has superseded your own abilities to love someone. Love your enemies. And then you'll know that the love of God supernaturally is flowing through you. And then you can have confidence that you are in God and God is in you. And then your whole identity begins to change. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But it requires faith. It requires surrender. Who do you need to love? And then where will we go and what will we do for the world to see evidence of God's love in us as brothers and sisters? How will the world know God is loved by the way we love each other here at TCC in new life and the way we, we come together as brothers and sisters? How will the world know by the way that we reach out to them and go where they are, where the community is, instead of saying, you know, the doors are open. They could come in. It's not about just this on Sunday morning. It's about going into being in people's lives. And to going out together and being equipped to that. That's what the staff is here to do, to equip you, to equip the saints for work that God has prepared way in advance for you to do. And we're going to help each and every one of you to discover what your gift is and how to reach out and have tools to do that. But you're going to have to ask God for the faith and the courage to do that. We're going to come alongside you. And say, let's reach out. Let's, let's help this community see who Jesus is. Let's love this community in a real way. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.